Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 91, Life Changes, recorded on November 11th, 2019. My name is Julie Bayfam Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. Seems like a How long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, not since I've seen you. I did see you earlier. Uh, I thought I was going to say earlier today, but that was actually yesterday. The days are blurring together. <laughs> But yes, it's been a while since we've done a podcast, and part of that is that because life has gotten extremely busy. I think that's going to be the topic, all the things that have happened that are happening that seem to be pushing your life along. I know. So let's see. The big news is that I'm going to have a baby, which is pretty exciting. Um, And then the secondary news, which is also big, (laughs) is that we moved into the new house, the house that we've been renovating for about a year um, and been trying to figure all of that stuff out. So there's a lot of we've actually were sort of chit chatting because you were asking me I'm in the midst of um, I'm at the art hanging phase, which feels good. Because it must mean that at least 90% of the boxes are unpacked if you're at the art hanging phase. And there is nothing like hanging art to make a house feel like a home, in my opinion. I think that's right. And the other thing is you see stuff that you've had for a long time in a different light. You do. And there's stuff, you know, that was hanging for a long time in my face that I decided either I didn't like or stuff that I sort of rediscovered when I was pulling through stuff and I was like, oh, wow, I love this. Where has this been hiding? I also think there is a thing about, um, we all know that relationships in art, like where the square is on the painting as opposed to the triangle or in opposition to the triangle or in whatever to the triangle uh, matters. And the same thing is true when you have a wall, right? Which is by putting this painting next to that painting, it suddenly changes the way both paintings look. And so I've been having a really interesting time, particularly with uh, a gallery wall that I've been putting together going up my staircase. Now, if anybody is unfamiliar with what a gallery wall is, um, there are a million articles online about how to make a gallery wall with deeply contradicting opinions about how you're supposed to do it. (laughs) Because what would the world be like if we all felt the same way about how the art in our home should be displayed, right? The only thing that people do agree on is that a gallery wall is meant to be a collection of multiple pieces of art basically stacked somewhat close together or hung very closely together. And so some people say you should theme the whole thing. It should be all flowers, all faces, all, you know, 1970s pastels, all abstract, whatever it is. And other people say, no, the purpose of a gallery wall is to be eclectic. It should be prints mixed with photos, mixed with, you know, uh, dimensional objects. Other people say, no, 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 it should be, you know, a color theme, all black and white. I mean, everybody's going to tell you what you should do. But I think the thing that is exciting about a gallery wall is that it's an opportunity to experience more is more in the most more is more possible way, right? Because instead of just hanging one painting on your wall or two or three up a set of stairs, I basically now have hung 27 paintings, (laughs) you know, in close proximity in a very small space. And it is one of the reasons that, um, I was very insistent that every wall in this house must be white, which sounds awfully boring. And a lot of people ask me like, oh, like what colors are you painting the wall? And I was like, white, 
white, white, white, white, white. And that's because I know the art that I like and the art that I make. And both of those are busy, riotous with color, like intense, insane. And I knew that I would need that neutral background to set them off so that they work with each other. I think that you can make artwork on colored walls, but I think it requires more work. And that is not what I am interested in doing. So uh, the way that I approach the gallery wall, if you're interested, and this is of course the only way and the right way to do it, <laughs> is I sort of, I had my friend Jen over, who honestly is such a trooper. <laughs> So we, cause she has a broken foot. And so you should see, she has a broken foot. I'm nine months pregnant. The two of us, you know, carrying ladders and climbing things together is a hilarious, you know, like together we're maybe one decently abled person. But anyway, so we went through all of the art that we had. Let me just say, and, it yeah. sounds like a terrible idea, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> It is a terrible idea. And we've, we've laughed our way through everything. We're like, you know, I can't bend over. She can't stand a certain way. I can't, you know, so it's like we kind of try to compromise, you know, and do what the other person can't do. But I will say if anybody, we basically made a rule. She was like, no one goes to the hospital. And that was, we were like, okay, no one goes to the hospital. So we just had to be safe enough that no one was uh, in, in trouble. Um, so we took all the art, which as we were unpacking, we basically collected everything into the dining room and we just sorted through, what do you love? What is in the kind of like ish pile and what is stuff that it just isn't your style anymore. You're just not interested in anymore. And this is both art I made, art I've collected, art I've bought, art I've been given, it's all the art that we have in the house. It's paper, it's canvas, it's fabric, it's, you know, uh, photos, it's everything. So we did the first sort. Then we basically, I'm lucky enough to have a huge kitchen island. So we cleared the island and we just started laying out the art that I liked that was of non-monumental size. So, um, I knew that for the gallery wall to work, right, you can't have like seven 48 by 48 canvases unless you live like in a museum, right? There's, nobody has walls those big, that big. So we limited ourselves to things that were small, like they had to be smaller than 16 by 20, like 16 by 20 would have been giant on the wall. And we just started laying out like what looks good with what, what needs to be separated, what small pieces can pair together to create something larger. You know, and it was really an, it was a very interesting process because A, I think that I was reminded again how much relationships matter between uh, various pieces of art. So, you know, if I have two photographs and they're together, they create like a block of photography, which is sort of not what I want. But if I simply put two small paintings between those two photographs as a wedge, then it becomes like a wall of art somehow in a different way. And it reminded me of creating a composition in which you use the same line width and then you break it up with like a wider line or you use the same kinds of colors 
and you break it up with a different contrasting kind of color. For my eye, for me to be pleased when I make art, I like high contrast. And so it's not surprising to me that in creating a gallery wall, I wanted it also to have high contrast where the pieces definitely felt different and separate and yet related. And then there were a couple places where I found, you know, um, the rule where you need to make things in a triangle or the rule of three so that the viewer looks around at your whole canvas, at your whole piece of work. I found there were several places where the eye would stop and I needed to hang a bridge piece, something that would take the color from the left and bring it to the right because there was something in the middle that was stopping it. And so that was a really interesting process because I'm not sure that I was 100% conscious that that's why I was making those choices. I just sort of instinctively knew this couldn't go here, this can't go here, this doesn't feel right, something's wrong. But when I sat to really think about it and looked back, I was like, oh wow, I, I'm a consistent person. I am making choices about how to hang this art in the same way that I make choices on how to make the art. You know, this may be more true even about this particular hanging project because it's a wall, large wall, on, on a stairwell, and so you rarely see it from up close. You're seeing it from a distance from down below in, this, in the front hall, so you always see it as a total wall. Yeah, I think that's really true, and that was part of like picking what pieces went there. Jen and I had a lot of talks about, well, this work um, is really valuable to be viewed at eye level because it has a lot of detail. So we should make sure that it doesn't get put too hot, like that mm -hmm. when you're coming down the stairs, you're passing it at eye level. So we actually, you know, and there's like, there's a piece that I bought um, from an artist who I follow on Instagram. And when it arrived, I found that I liked it a lot more from far away than I did up close. And so I was like, I need to hang this high so that how I always see it is from far away because then it will always make me happy. And I think... We also had some interesting conversations about some of my abstract art where Jen was like, does this go this way or this way or this way or this way, right? And the answer, of course, with a lot of abstract art is, well, you know, it can go sort of any way. I mean, I know you have a painting mom in your stairwell um, that you've hung essentially upside down from what the artist's original intention was. Now that I own it, I feel like it's my enjoyment is the number one thing. I will say this too, as long as you don't hang them face to the wall, I guess right. you're still voting for them. It's true, 100%. So, and some of that, uh, even with the relationship thing, like with a lot of my faces, which are incorporated into the gallery wall, you know, Jen and I were like, well, she's looking this way. So we need to have, like, if she's looking to the left, then you want to, you know, put her so that she's looking into the rest of the wall and not out of it, you know, so that her focus, her gaze is the is um, taking the viewer's gaze into the next work and not bleeding it off the edge, which is a funny thing to have to think about. Unless she's looking out the window. Unless she's looking out the window, which you very well might be. Um, but, you know, we also, speaking of gaze, we also hung... Uh, the downstairs powder room um, has some of the biggest walls <laughs> in the whole house, which feels funny to say, but it's just some of the biggest walls that don't have like windows and stuff in them, right? So 
we hung this enormous diptych that I painted, which I love, which is these huge eyes, which are like each eye is bigger than my head and very, very intensely patterned um, piece. And originally Steve had also wanted to hang, uh, had wanted to hang another portrait in there sort of behind the toilet over it. And it was, it was a overwhelming because this portrait was looking at you while you were doing your business. So that's one kind of awkward. Uh, but two, it was too much color and pattern. And so we ended up putting four black and white pieces into the bathroom as companions to the large, colorful, sort of exuberant painting. And again, for me, that contrast works so nicely. There's size contrast in the small black and white pieces as opposed to the large colored piece. There's color contrast in the black and white versus the color. You know, there's also a level of detail contrast because the diptych is enormous. It's two canvases that I think are each like four or five feet tall and three feet wide. Whereas the other black and white pieces are, three of them are photographs. And so they're fairly, they're not small, but they're definitely like under, I would say under like 14 by 17 or something. And then one is a print, which has a lot of intense detail as a woodcut. So, you know, I, I think there's some, a lot of nice contrast there. So I'm really pleased overall with sort of the thought process behind how things are going together. I mean, one of the benefits of having a massive art collection before you move into a place is you can actually sort of think out where things go, as opposed to if you move in with very little art and you just sort of patchwork put stuff up it tends to grow and build in an organic way but in a way that's not necessarily super intentional there's a woman who we've had on the podcast who i follow on instagram named hadley powell and she posted recently on her instagram she is a you may recall she's an uh, art buyer um is she spent saturday helping a client uh rehang the client's home she they brought in some new art which necessitated moving some old art. And one of the things she said is that by moving some of the old art and putting it in different relationships with either old art or new art, the client felt that she actually had a whole new collection of art because things had changed so much because you're viewing that. it differently. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's a very fun process. You probably feel that way about furniture too now that you've moved into a new place. Not only do you have some different furniture, but you also have reused certain things and gotten rid of certain things. It's really, it's kind of enjoyable to uh, shake up your surroundings like that. It is. And like, I, I inherited a lot of furniture from my, uh, when my father passed and my stepmother downsized, she passed on a lot of their furniture to me. And I hadn't realized how big their house was until I tried to put their furniture in my house. And suddenly I was like, oh my God, this table is so big. This couch is so big. This, you know, credentials, everything is so big, but they had such a big house that they didn't, the pieces didn't look that big. And so it has been very interesting to see how those pieces kind of dominate my rooms. And I've had to sort of figure out ways to, I mean, they're beautiful pieces, but I like had to figure out how, what are the ways that I can use them or rearrange them or rethink them so that they feel more to scale. 
Well, you're, the you dining know. table had 18 chairs and three yeah. legs or something. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. It is. It is. So, uh, yeah, but good for Thanksgiving. Yes. But maybe that's it. Um, so I would say, like, it's, it's you don't have to move to feel like you're living with new art. It can just be about putting stuff up. But one of the most interesting things in sorting through the art is I realized how much art I love I have that I don't have framed. I have tons and tons and tons of work on paper uh. that I like so much more than some of the work I have on canvas. But it's just loose pieces of paper. And some of them are very large loses of pieces of paper, you know, 24 by 36, like, and they need a, a real frame. Or I have um, two woodcut uh, reduction prints that I love and bought from a woman at an art fair. And I have been meaning to frame them now for almost a year. And of course I haven't. And when I came across them in a box, I was like, ugh, why haven't I framed these incredibly beautiful you know, woodcuts, I need to get them up. And I'm kind of excited about the process of taking the things that I really love to the framer. And the, the real thing I have to decide is what needs to be framed by a real person, meaning like a professional framer who's going to mat and do all that stuff. And what needs to basically go into like a Target or Michael's frame. Yes, because then fine the good go news up. is you found all this great stuff, and the bad news is framing is incredibly expensive if oh my you gosh, really get framing. it done to museum quality. 100%. Framing is super expensive. If you've never had something professionally framed, it can cost you as much or more than the art. And a lot of times the reason that artists don't sell their work framed is because it can double or more the price of the work. And people aren't always willing to pay that because they don't realize how much framing costs. But I have to tell you, like, when people buy work from me on a, of my website, it's almost always unframed. And often then they'll send me a picture of it after they've, you know, matted and framed it. And it is, it is sometimes shocking how much it transforms the work. Framing and matting really, really make a difference. So... Right now I'm just trying to sort through, like, what I love enough to actually pay to have really, really framed and what I am going to DIY frame. So that's an interesting, that's an interesting personal debate to have with your art. <laughs> um, but I've also been sorting through another interesting question, which is what is baby room art? I is think it's baby... anything, anything that's interesting. I don't think baby room art has to be duckies and bunnies. Right. That's what I decided, too, is like, I don't think it has to be specifically kid stuff. I did decide that, like, some of my faces, I think, can be scary. And so it was probably better to stick to things that were either abstract or just didn't have, like, a weird, scary, you know, not totally normal looking face in it i just don't know like i feel like if kids are scared of clowns like that's not going to be a great you know sleep inducing you were very afraid of clowns someone gave us uh as a surprise at your i want to say was it your fifth birthday party they i think we lived in washington dc okay, so it so must have been like third, my third third birthday party sent a clown over and you, you burst into tears it was awful <laughs> 
Yes. Well, because, you know, like I think there's a period of time where kids are afraid of things that are grotesque and clowns are essentially grotesque. You grow to like it and enjoy it. But I think at first when things don't seem like normal, uh-huh. it's very scary. So um, I also, uh, you know, I'm somewhat aware, too, in terms of hanging things in the baby's room that like you're not really supposed to put anything over the crib in case it falls on the baby. You're not really supposed, you know what I mean? So I'm trying to be mindful of some of those kinds of choices too in hanging art. So you can make color choices by doing things like a great rug, for example. Yes, definitely. And I also think, so a question I've gotten a lot from people online is basically what are you making for the baby? Like as a as a crafter and an artist, like what, what have you made for the baby? Are you making onesies? Are you making mobiles? Are you painting the walls? Are you doing whatever? And the answer is, I think been disappointing to most people because the answer is I made a baby quilt because I wanted to make a quilt. I'm not even sure I really did it for the baby so much as I did it for myself, but I did that. Um, but other than that, I pretty much am not crafting a lot for the baby because I just feel like it would be for me, just like the quilt was kind of for me. I mean, the baby doesn't care whether it's handmade or not. It's kind of like when you make that decision about who deserves a handmade card and who won't care if they get a store-bought card. Like some people will get really excited if you give them a handmade card and other people would just rather have a store-bought card. They don't care that it's handmade. And so I sort of feel like the baby is not gonna care so what's the point in putting in the effort when I can just buy it from Target? Is that terrible? No, I don't think it's terrible. And also, you don't know the baby yet. You haven't met the baby. The baby has a personality of its own, and it will have interests of its own. So it's give true. it a it's chance really to rude, tell by you the way, that before I've even met someone, they like get to bounce on my bladder and like, you know, well, force me to be unhappy. That's kind of rude. Like right? a a rude house guest <laughs> exactly i will say this so your brother had a baby it's like five or six weeks now and he received a large mickey mouse and a bunch of other stuffed toy you know animal toys and what they realized was that the baby really responded to the mickey mouse with great attention and interest and it's because the face is so black and white and little babies respond to black and white at this stage not the bright colors so uh i get it now you have to figure out what the baby likes and then not what also you I like think, right and then give the baby room to grow into whatever's in the room I think that's true. I mean, it actually reminds me of like the reason they say that a lot of baby food has sugar in it is so that when the parents taste it, they like it and they'll Mm -hmm. feed it to the baby, you know, and it's the same thing about a lot of stuff they sell for babies. Is it that the baby likes it or is it that the parents like it? Right. So who knows? But we'll see. I'm going to I'm going to let the baby's personality come out and then maybe make him something when I feel like I get the kind of stuff that he likes and he's interested in. So we'll see. So he's maybe not going to be just your little art project. <laughs> no, I mean, the one thing I do, I mean, it's funny, Steve and I were talking last night and Steve was like, I hope the baby likes to cook. 
And I said, well, I think the baby will like to cook because you like to cook and you'll take the baby into the kitchen with you. And the baby will, you know, I mean, not right at first, obviously, but, you know, the baby, when the yeah. baby's a little kid, will be your little helper and he'll want to cook with you. And I said, the same thing is true about art. Like, I hope the baby likes art. And, you know, how do you do that? Well, it's important to you and you take the baby with you and you say, let's, let's make something together. Let's, you know, so that they get excited about it too. But I also assume that it's possible to have a baby who hates art and hates cooking and, you know, I don't know, what is something that I don't like, wants to watch NASCAR all day? Who knows? Well, Could that be. can't be allowed. <laughs> I know. I'd have to learn a lot about cars. To watch. It's not the NASCAR. He can't be allowed to watch anything all day long. That's We've also talked true. about this. Screen Screens. time. Screen time. Yeah. Very important. Which actually, I've been listening to a ton in preparation for the baby coming. I have been trying to train myself to not be on my phone and to not watch TV. And so I've been listening to a ton more podcasts and I've been doing a lot more music. And I'm very interested to see if and how that has changed my art making. Because I yeah. do think that what you do, whatever the atmosphere is while you're creating, has to somehow influence you. So I'm very curious to know, I'm not sure I can tell right now, or I don't know, think I, I, what I think is I don't have the perspective yet to be able to see how that's changing things, but I think it must be. Well, I remember one day Steve left his phone at home and you guys were over. Yeah. And suddenly he was watching this football game in such a different way. He was so intensely into it. And we decided it was because he didn't have his phone, so he did was he wasn't having divided attention. And yeah, I true. think that works for all of us and that's why we've we're going to we're trying this new rule of when you when we eat dinner together, the phones aren't even at the table. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all been pretty good about not, yeah. but there's often like a conversation at dinner where we're fighting over like what's true or what's not, or what's the date of something is or whatever. So somebody just pulls out their phone to look it up, but that's like the beginning of yeah. not really Rolling having a around. conversation and stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. And so I think like, I wonder, I also, I mean, like, so similar to that is I do have concentrated time now, right? Like if I have to find a way to make two hours in the day to make art, I can. But I'm assuming that after the baby comes, that will be a pipe dream, a long lost memory. And so I am curious too, how even though I've always worked in bursts, I am curious about having a situation where like it's forced bursts is also gonna change the way that I make art because I do think attention is a thing when you're being creative as well. Well, I'm, I sent you a text today of an article from the Washington Post. And a woman named Phyllis Richmond, who was for many years their head food critic, etc., cetera, mm -hmm. uh, and in charge of their food pages, just found a letter from June 1961 when she was applying. Oh, I read this. It's so yeah. interesting. Go ahead. She yeah. was applying to the Harvard Graduate School of, I think it was... Uh, urban planning or something urban like planning. that. Urban planning. And the letter she got from the dean was asking her how she would uh, balance a career in, in urban planning with her 
quote-unquote responsibilities to her husband and possible future family. So she responded in a very, I thought, intelligent and measured way. And what you see is that she she was, of course, it was the 60s. She was subject to a lot of the same pressures. If her husband had a job in another city, she moved, etc. She raised several children, three children. But she went to school, like one class at a time, graduate school in various places. She also said she found time to write all the time like if she was at the playground or if she was wherever, when she had moments, when the kids slept. And she also got babysitting by fixing her house so she could have graduate students living there and exchanged the living for babysitting. I mean, I think you find ways. And what she did say was that in those days, maybe women's careers went at a different pace Maybe it took them longer to do certain things, but it wasn't wasted. You know, there's a lot of life before and after you've had little children. And that her her feeling is it, that it just happened over time and that it was good. Uh, it was just different from the maybe the career path a man would have had. And I was thinking you might not be able to work in exactly the same way that you have been, but that doesn't mean you won't be able to work. And I know you've given a lot of time to thinking and planning. You don't know yet how it's going to work, but I think you've thought a lot about it. I have. I mean, I'm very nervous. I've always been a workaholic. I've always been a person who works tons and tons and tons and tons of hours. I have, I mean, at one point when I was dating Steve, I told him that we would break up on the day that I decided that I would rather be home doing work than out having a meal with him. You know, luckily for him, that day hasn't come yet. <laughs> but like, that was always my standard, which is, and it's true for me now with friends, with social obligations, with everything, which is like, if it isn't enjoyable enough I love my work, even the parts that I hate about my work. I'm so grateful to be able to do what I do. And so I am thinking about it constantly. And if I would rather be home, you know, sitting with my art journal or even doing the things I hate, like responding to email or answering YouTube questions or whatever, right? You know, like if those are things that I would rather be doing than spending time with whatever else I'm doing, then I know that whatever I'm doing at the moment is not something that can be a priority for me. So I am hoping that motherhood is so wonderful that I will not be resenting the time that I'm spending, you know what I mean, with my baby, et cetera, et cetera, um, and wishing that I had the time to do the work and that instead what will happen is that I will find myself inspired by the baby or having a lot more time to sort of think and process stuff so mm -hmm. that um, it's kind of like the myth that uh, I think I've told this story before and actually so my friend Bethany was a guest on the podcast maybe like three years ago she's a playwright and her husband has always bragged Bethany can sit down and write a play in a week and she's always like no no 
it takes me, you know, two years to write a play. It's just that I've been thinking about it, like drafting notes about it, but I don't actually sit down and like do the dialogue until I really feel like it's ready in my brain. And then it's fast and furious to sort of get it out, right? Get that first draft out. And so I just wonder if some of my process will change then to be like more thinking about things and planning things out and then the time just sort of intensely doing. I don't know. I'm nervous and I'm scared, but I'm also excited and curious. And I know that millions literally of female artists before me have gone through this whole process and come out the other end. So so we'll why not? It's going to be an adventure. Exactly. But it does remind me actually of another topic, which you and I said that we should discuss, which is sort of planning versus reality, right? Which is what we're talking about with mm -hmm. the baby. I have a plan of what it's going to be like with the baby strapped <laughs> to me, painting in the studio. And the reality of whatever it's going to be like is going to be nothing like whatever my plans are, right? So the same thing is true, I think, of the planning of the studio, which I planned for more than a year, right, as we were dealing with it, and the reality of how it is sort of shaping up now. All right, let's talk about that. Okay, so I think the planning of the studio, I would say, so where, where some other women might have been planning a wedding their whole lives, I feel like I've been planning my magical, mythical studio <laughs> and what it will be like when I meet my Prince Charming of a studio. So the whole house shopping thing was really interesting because I think the realtor, it took him a while to understand when I said, um, listen, I mean, like, so here's the thing. I think I'm in a unique situation. Not only do I need a studio, but because I'm the breadwinner uh, in our house, like my studio is what's paying for the house essentially, right? And so I think a lot of times when people say they want an art studio or, or like a craft room or whatever it is they're thinking about, they're looking for something that a normal human would have, like a room, right? But I really meant yeah. like a studio, like a working professional studio. And so it was really interesting during the house hunting process, you know, um, seeing him sort of begin to understand that there had to be like an entire third floor, an entire basement, an outbuilding of some kind, like a garage or a um, barn or, you know, what? like there just, there had to be something that could be a, really a studio. We were not talking about a bedroom. Right. And so that really was a very specific kind of house hunting that we were doing because of that. And a lot of the conversations that we had about different spaces were ended up revolving around like, well, that's just not going to work for a studio space or that, you know, that is fine for a studio space. It might've been a fine size for a house, but essentially if you cut off an entire floor of the house, now is the house only 800 square feet. And that's, you know, Steve and I can't live that close together. <laughs> you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the planning really started just even in the buying process, right? Can't, oh, what yeah. is your vision for this space? So when we found this house that had a third floor that was kind of a wreck, which was the uh, converted attic and was kind of and a mess. It was, it was zoned to be a separate yes. apartment if you wanted it to be. 
Right, which was really important to us because that meant like utilities were separate. It meant that there was a separate exit and entrance. It really, it was a nice yeah. separation so that people don't have to traipse through the house to come to the studio, which is important to me. So I knew that this space would be that. Then essentially, you know, when you're designing a kitchen, and I talk about the studio in relationship to the kitchen all the time because I think they're very related. Kitchen is a functional room. It can be decorative, but when it doesn't work, when it's not functional, when, you know, that triangle of the stove, the refrigerator, and the sink is off, when things don't, when you don't have enough storage, when you, you know, it's too crowded in terms of the way that things are put, like, it doesn't matter how pretty it is, you just are angry at your kitchen the whole time. Because and the so kitchen is a machine. The yeah. kitchen has to be a working machine. 100%. And so I think... And that is often my problem, by the way, on home improvement shows is I'm like, that's a very pretty kitchen. It's not practical and it's not functional, you know? And I think like, I feel that way about a lot of studios I see online too, where I'm like, that is such a beautiful room. Oh, look how everything matches. Look how everything's so neat. Look, look at the little like, matching baskets. And, yeah, yeah, the whole thing. And like, it's just that for me is not functional. I, I, that, I can't, I can't work in that kind of restraint. So I knew that this room had to be like super functional. So when we sat down to do the planning and the designing of the space, you know, there were so many considerations from the fact that it is an attic. So there are no flat walls. And because this is not a traditional like A-frame house that would even have the two flat walls on the sides, this is a Victorian house with a roof that comes in at like, 12 15 different angles it's an insane roof line so it means that like there's just no flat wall and even considerations like lighting because the ceiling is so slanted how do you get lights you know that are going to function how do you do this there are also no closets up here because it's an attic so it's a single space you know, so no flat walls means no shelves, no closets means no hidden storage, no, you know, there's just so many functional considerations about that. And so just thinking about all of it, we started planning. And one of the things that I asked for very early on, and I think that both my contractor um, and his entire crew thought I was nutso, was I asked for a massive amount of electricity. I mean, plugs everywhere. I asked for uh, plugs in the floors. I asked for every wall to have plugs and I didn't want the plugs at baseboard height. I wanted all the plugs high up on the walls, like above counter height. Um, and it was like quirky stuff like that, that I knew from having worked in my studio, what was frustrating to me, you know, and electrical mm -hmm. is sort of the beginning of it because A, it requires a lot of light to do what I do. B, I have a ton of electronic equipment, everything from printers and scanners and, you know, all that kind of stuff on through to like scan and cut sewing machine, you know, heat gun, like the microphone I'm talking into right now, computer setup, like you just, you have all this stuff that needs electricity. And so I think he finally understood the light thing though, when... And not only had I put like a bajillion lights into the plan, but he's a car guy, my contractor, and has like a massive like 2,000 square foot garage where he like works on cars and does all sorts of home stuff because he's, you know, into that kind of thing. And I finally said to him, I was like, Rob, listen, this is your garage. 
on top of my house. This is my workshop. You, th you have to stop thinking of it as a room you're making in the house. This is a working space. And as soon as he sort of understood that it was like his garage, he was like, oh, I get it. We need industrial lights. Okay. Oh, I get it. We need to do the outlets instead of all having two, need to have four outlets. Okay, I get it. So you need the outlets high because you're on like a bench, like a workbench, right? And so everything has to get plugged high. Like as soon as I was found a way to communicate it in a way that he could understand from his own personal experience, we were totally fine after that. And now I have the things that I want, the floor outlets, the high outlets, the insane amount of light up here. The whole thing is really, it works and that's great. Um, I think. So talk that, about the, the yeah. sink and the knee walls yes. and the whole thing. So I knew that I wanted to have a studio sink up here. It was really important to me to have basically like a huge sink that I could wash out um, fabric yardage, huge silk screens. Like the, I've always had up until now a bathroom sink, like never, I've lived in apartments basically for the last 20 years. So I've never had anything more than a bathroom sink because I've never even had like a basement laundry sink or anything like that. And so it's been very frustrating to try to clean things. I feel like my scale of what I can work on is often limited. So I, I looked all over for the perfect sink. And I finally discovered that what I was looking for was a restaurant supply sink with like a stainless steel sort of sideboard attached to it, a drain board that is angled slightly back towards the sink so that the water when you set something to dry on it, sort of drains back into the sink. And the sink itself is really big and can definitely fit a lot of stuff. And then I bought and talk a about sprayer. the kind of plumbing you have to have too. Yes, for I bought a sprayer attachment so that I could easily like use not only like a faucet, but a sprayer. So it really feels like a professional, you know, situation. Then the other thing of course is like, I try not to put paint down my drains, but it inevitably happens because you have to wash paint out and stuff like that. So you have to just be careful about your drain because you can't have like a regular, you know, whatever. So um, we talked a lot about putting in a clay trap into my drain, which is like a little device that they use in clay studios, which you can empty because of course clay goes down the drain, which is way worse than paint, by the way. Um, and you can, you know, clean it out. We also, like, we had our, all of the sewer lines, we had um, professionally um, snaked and washed out, like, all the way through, like, when we were in the building phase and they were very open. And I just was, like, very cognizant of making sure that the whole drainage system was going to work and that I would still be careful, of course, but that I was not going to end up with a bad situation. Talk so, about venting. Very pleased. Um, so venting was a, a very interesting conversation. We, we talked about putting in some vent hoods and then decided against it because it was going to take up a lot of space and be very expensive. So then we also talked about having a cheap ventilation system in which it would basically be open to the outside and I could like use a fan to open the louvers and they would release air. But then we decided it would basically be like freezing and let in potentially like things we don't want coming in. 
So in the end, the um, venting solution ended up sort of being twofold, which is there's the way that the space is built is you can create a cross draft between opening, there's two doors in the space that open to the outside. So you create sort of a cross breeze across those two um, spaces. And then one of them actually leads to a small covered porch, which is where I put my easel and stuff. So if I want to spray paint or do other things like that, I can go outside without being outside. I mean, I am outside, but it's like covered outside. That sounds stupid. I hope I'm explaining it correctly. Um, it's basically like being on a porch essentially, so that it's not, I'm not inhaling spray paint fumes or whatever else, something like that. So that's all important and good. I mean, cause the studio is all about safety. I mean, even doing the insurance paperwork has been very interesting because, you know, anytime they say, is there, are there, do you have explosives? The answer is yes. Yes, I do. I have spray paint, which by the way, movers won't move in case you were wondering, you have to carry your spray paint by yourself because they are considered an explosive. I also have tons of paint. I mean, if a match hits up here, we're gonna be in trouble, you know? So it's an interesting thing to think about, as I am also concerned, of course, about the safety of my family. So that was another important thing, which is we have a very secure door at the base of the stairs to the studio, so kid can't even come up, you know, and that door locks. Um, so the kid can't even come up without, you know, having to go through that barrier, which I think is really important to me because there's all sorts of sharp stuff up here, blades and, you know, little parts and stuff that you probably don't want a child around, frankly. Steve was like, we won't even tell him there's a third floor until he's old enough. I was like, how is he not going to wonder where I disappear to? Steve's <laughs> like, how's he, how's he going to know the difference? It'll just be like, you know. Your mommy's going to work. I was like, okay, I think that's really weird, but so we'll see how it plays out. Um, and then as far as the flat walls are concerned, the solution that we came up with my contractor uh, with is these movable walls on wheels. And I did a blog post about this, which you can see, but basically it's, uh, the walls are like boxes. So there's actually four walls because two walls, each of the walls has two sides. So I've made a painting wall, a quilt design wall, and then two walls that I can use as backdrops for doing videos or photo shoots or, you know, hanging art or whatever it is that I want. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and I've been rolling them all around the studio. They're super heavy because they're weighted so they don't tip. Um, but you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to be able to basically change the space because you can roll these walls in and out. So I would say talk about the talk about the yeah. eaves with what you've done under the with the low knee walls and stuff like that. Oh, your... so I, I never want to waste any space. And one of the things is that so the way the roof line works is these slanted walls go all the way to the floor. So when you build what's known as a knee wall, which is a flat wall in front of, um, sort of like imagine it halfway coming down from the slant to create a surface that you can put electrical into, that you can do whatever. You're basically losing all this space underneath, right? But it's hard to use space because it's kind of low and tiny and it's shaped like a triangle, right? Where it gets smaller and smaller. And so I said to my contractor, 
Um, originally he was like, we can build in shelves, you can build in drawers, but oh man, was it getting expensive. So I was like, just leave it open. Just leave it open. So I have a bunch of these walls that just have these sort of open triangles underneath the knee walls. And what I've done is one side I took, I don't know if you've ever seen these at like Walmart or, um, Target. They're like these wire racks that you construct into little cubes. So one of them has them, um, in there as a storage solution because again I don't have any closets or anything like that so I can slot stuff into their storage and then another one of them I got all these rolling carts from um, Wayfair that are meant I think for like your TV or, or something like that but what I've done is I have put all of my electronics so every printer and I have like four printers uh, my scanner my oversized scanner my um, all those supplies, basically I had them put electrical, as I mentioned, there's lots of electrical, way into the eaves underneath. And so I've run extension cords to each cart. And so you can stash the carts under in this like hole and then you pull them out when you want to use them. So essentially they kind of disappear into the space because again, I can't have shelves, I can't go up. I don't have enough floor space to have everything out at the same time. And it's just, it's a solution that so far is working really, really well for me. So I'm excited about that too. I mean, I feel like I'm just trying to maximize every inch of space. And what I would say is like, are there things that I would wish were different about the space? Of course, everybody does. But do I feel that this is like as close to a dream studio as I'm ever gonna get? 100% yes, it's a big, open, bright space with tons of light, tons of electrical. I now, you know, have all my stuff in one space. I can paint and quilt, you know, on top of each other. I have table space. I have my computer right where I need it. I have outdoor space where I can go and paint. I have, you know, I feel like I have I have a dream, which is really awesome. I'm still settling in to it and trying to figure out, you know, if I really have the best configuration of everything, but I'm feeling really good so far about about how it's shaping up in terms of functionality. And today, this is the first podcast from this space. And today this is the first podcast as I, we kind of get like into how everything works. It's like you know, we had, um, we're going to have people over for the first time next weekend. So we're racing to finish the unpacking and the hanging up and the everything else. And like, you know, as you get more settled into the house, I feel like it gets easier to go back to normal life. And I assume it will be true about the baby, which is as I get used to having the baby, it will get easier to get back to normal working life normal social life or the new normal, whatever that may be. Good. Yeah, I hope so. I hope it will be good. I hope it will all be good. I, I would say that you've done an incredible job with keeping all these balls in the air. You beat the baby into moving. I beat the baby? Which is amazing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And I think... Uh, you're going to love it. You're going to love the house. You're going to love being a mother. It's going to be tiring, but everything that's good is worth doing. It's true. I think I'm excited just to see what happens. I think it's going to be, December's going to be an interesting month. 
Yeah. I'll just put it that way because it'll be a new baby. The house will hopefully be mostly settled into by then and just getting back up to speed with what normal and real life is, whatever the new normal is. But I'm like, I have to say, I said to Steve at least five times today, every time I go past the gallery wall, every time I go past the gallery wall on the stairs, out of my mouth, I say, oh my gosh, Steve, I love this wall. It makes me so happy. And I was thinking about how I hadn't really thought about the gallery wall when we moved in or when we bought the house or, you know, even while we were unpacking and I hadn't thought about it until we started to put it together. And now I can't imagine this house without it, even though it's only been like a day <laughs> that it's been up. <laughs> I haven't but, even seen it. You know, it feels so homey to me. It makes me so happy. And I think that life is often like that, you know, and I think that that's also what art does for you, which is to have it around. And Jen said to, today when she was helping, she was like, you know, it's it's so interesting how how much this wall looks like you, even though it's, you know, less than 50 percent is your art. A lot of it is just art you bought, you know, from other people. And I said, yeah, I guess it just shows like there's a consistency about what I create is also what I collect. And there's, I even let Steve put two pieces of his own art that he has collected. What? <laughs> I what? know. Is that right? There's two Superman portraits in our wall wow. of art. I know. It's crazy. Um, but what I was going to say is so like, but that felt good too, that like his art the art that he likes, you know, because he loves comic books and superheroes, like that that all fits in with what I like too. I don't know. It just, it feels nice because it, it makes it feel like nobody, there are lots of ways in which you walk into a house and they always tell you to depersonalize, right? If you want to sell it, take the things off the walls that make it too personal. And to me, this gallery wall is like me claiming this house for my own. It makes it personal. Even though there's not a single photo of a person I know, it's like my stake in the ground. This is my house. This is my personality. You can't walk in this house and not know that I like color and pattern. It's wonderful. And weird faces. <laughs> yeah, it's really exciting. So I'm, I'm excited to see how the rest of the house develops. Me too. So... Here's hoping we manage to squeeze in another podcast before the baby, but we'll have to say. Well, you can crossed, do a Mom. podcast with a baby sitting there. That's true. That's true. The baby can be our third uh, co-host. The third. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It'll be perfect. Anyway, any last thoughts, Mom? No, I'm just so eager to come over and see the wall. Come and see my wall. It's very exciting. Um, and I will be sure to post a picture of the wall so that you can all see it because I think that's important too. And you can find me at ballsdesigns.typepad.com. Um, and do leave us your comments or questions at ballsdesigns.com backslash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And by the way, if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review on iTunes. You can tell a friend, all that kind of stuff really helps us uh you know find our audience and helps our audience find us so thank you so much for listening and for subscribing and we'll see you the next time on the adventures in arting podcast <laughs>